Podcast. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. And this is Rich. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of finding out all the things that you wanted to know about the game, but we wouldn't tell you. We, we wouldn't, and but now we're going to. Nosy people. You forced it out of us, folks. <laughs> uh, fortunately, this week we have Richard Tohoka with us because we are answering uh, questions from our various players, posters on Facebook, on the Yahoo group, on the TriTag Games forums, and anywhere else that someone could bend our ear. Now, interesting enough, the person asking most of the questions is, a, is one of our former podcasters, Jay Haley. <laughs> well... That's good because Jay, you know, went through a trial by fire uh, when he decided to start his campaign. And by the way, folks, the best way to come to, to find out what you really want and need to know about our games is to run a campaign of them. So we highly recommend that you guys get our books, our games, and actually run a campaign. Now, it doesn't have to be a long campaign. It could be only like five or six episodes, a short arc, but you'll really find out, you know, the questions that you have about the game that you don't understand. And by getting those answered, you may find that the game is even more amazing than we say it is. So, uh, so please go ahead and do so. And remember that TriTech Games offers free demoing service over Skype. So you can get your friends together. If you've never run a game and you want to try it, uh, get them together. Call, uh, call us up. Let, send us an email. And uh, we'll set up a time and we will run a demo for you of whatever game you want to play. So just go ahead and uh, give us a, a call and notice, whatever, so that we can help you come to realize how great the TriTech Games are. And if you're lucky, you may actually get a game run by Richard Hoka. That is a possibility. <laughs> so what I'm saying, though, is that if you have a structure that you know has been left alone only by you know the elements and nature, um, if you know, if it is made out of durable enough materials uh, and it is monolithic enough, then yeah, it'll it'll still be something there. But the the insides, you know, if there is an insides to it, uh, is gonna should be totally rotted out. I mean, uh, we it's yeah. gonna crumble away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, basically uh, any build, uh, depending on the building, like the uh, Federal Reserve, that base, the Federal Reserve vaults will probably last for several thousand years. Now they'll be underwater. That's for sure, but they'll but they'll more or less be intact for several thousand years. But they're gonna be uh, you're right buried under debris. Only so. thing that survived in the Middle East at some of the city sites were the ceramics, pieces of ceramics. Yeah. So which means we're gonna have light bulb inserts, pieces of ceramics, like you know little little bits of household ceramics. What we have made something much more du- much more durable. We've made plastic. Plastic does not decay. Plastic doesn't if it gets if it gets buried if it gets buried and not exposed to the sun it will last virtually forever. They figured within a half a million years the plastic will be tiny little grains. Yeah, but yeah, but it basically doesn't rot. It just breaks down in UV light, uh, which tells you then if it's a building is made with Tamilan plastic, it may actually be somewhat intact. Well, it it depends because, uh, as you said, it, it, nothing says turmeric and plastic doesn't oxidize, okay? Uh, and, and and certainly um, uh, the metals might, uh, but even if they don't, 
still, you know, you're, uh, you, the wires that you run into buildings and things, they provide conduits for animals to come in. And, you know, even, even a, a, in a rat, I've seen a rat gnaw through a cinder block. Okay, I'm pretty sure that animals would be able to gnaw through tamellarin plastic wires, uh, through uh, use the condu uh, uh, the conduits in the buildings to 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 bring in uh, water, you know, to bring in water because they're opening them up. Uh, the wires themselves would be would be destroyed. Anything that they're connected to would probably you know go bad because of. Uh, uh, the the fusion of metals and things like that. I mean, over time, a lot of things will dry out or just you know materials, things like electronic equipment and stuff. They tend to go bad with no maintenance after a while, just from sitting still. Uh, the uh, the giant uh, uh, dynamos. Okay, they they have these these huge magnets and wire cores, but they're ro they're on rollers. And if those things ever, if those things aren't kept moving constantly, the rollers get flattened on one side, and they're worthless. They have to pick the whole thing up and put brand new rollers under there and start it all up again. So, even if you saw a city that actually looked more or less intact, when you went in there, you'd find out it was just an illusion that nothing was working inside of it, unless it had some active um, devices that would keep it going. Okay, diamond diamond deposition that even uh, Arthur C. Clarke was talking about it. You coat something with diamond a building and it just lasts. No, he's wrong because I'm okay. I'm I'm I, okay. I I I I clad a building in diamond. You coat a building in diamond. It's transparent. Wherever you're coating is going to have a different expansion coefficient than the diamond does. So just a one good hot cold day cycle will pop panels off because the building the building will expand more than the diamond will or vice versa and they'll pop off. Yeah. So and diamond or sap. Oh, by the way, remember Star Trek? You know uh, the, the good Star Trek movie. Search for you know uh, uh, the transparent you know, aluminum. Yeah, that's called that's called sapphire. <laughs> sapphire is transparent aluminum so yes you could coat a building in sapphire you can coat a building in emerald both both are aluminum uh, based uh, transparent materials and they're also very very hard uh, they have Mohs, a Mohs rating of 9 and for those who don't know what a Mohs rating it's the rating you use to, to tell you how hard a substance is diamond is 10, sapphire and I think a couple others are nine uh, steel is actually way down i think steel's about seven or six so yes diamond's very hard but it's also very brittle which is why turmalin plastic so wonder so wonderful it has a mohs rating around nine but it's very ductile very it's very uh it's got good tensile strength so unlike diamond which shatters uh diamond's very brittle uh, if you made a diamond building the first hot hot cold day cycle it would just shatter it just could break in the first hot day cycle. Um, I doubt it. But yeah, well, it would definitely develop cracks. Well, John, you're you're assuming that this is this being coated like like ice on the outside of a building. I'm sure that that when people decide to do this, they're going to figure out some way of embedding it in a matrix that somehow allows it to deal with that expansion contraction coefficient and still give it the the uh, the the protective aspects of why you're putting the diamond on it in there in the first place. Yeah. So but still eventually, but even after a thousand years of hot day cycles and expansion and so forth, it will start spalling. Sure. I'm not, I, I, I'm not disagreeing, you know? I, yeah. In fact, buildings, buildings, if you build a large building, it has to have expansion joints. Uh, when I was living in Colorado, I got to do some work in a building for some company. I forgot who it was, some data company, but the building was two football fields long. So it had two sets of expansion joints inside of it. And I was in there one day when it was nice and hot, and those two-foot-wide expansion joints were one foot wide because the building expanded that much on a hot day. <laughs> so, yeah, so if you so you got this big, giant arcology. It, it's going to be full of expansion joints everywhere, and those expansion joints are your weak points. That's where water can get in. That's where plants get in. Any flat surface, dust and dirt will accumulate Plant seeds will accumulate. Plants get in. They start. They start looking for a place to get. Starting to get into the into the cracks and so forth. 
There is a wonderful, wonderful story that was published, I think, in 1967 or 1968 in Analog. The cover was a blue jay building a nest out of wire and transistors. The story was called (laughs) Ecological Niche, and it was exactly this kind of thing. Wildlife moving into very high-tech cities, and everybody Mm -hmm. just going, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. If you look at some of the uh, covers on science fiction magazines, sometimes you'd see these enormously high spires uh, of cities and such. Now, uh, we know that in making really big buildings that uh, there's a big problem with oscillation of the buildings due to wind blowing against it and uh, causing it to go back and forth. And most buildings now, modern buildings, up on the upper levels, they have a number of devices to try to keep that from happening. Usually there's a really great big block of, um, of stone, metal, or, some, or even water that's able to roll backwards and forwards to damp down the oscillations. These are, these are active, but, but they require maintenance to, in order to keep them operating correctly. If you were to, uh, if you were to uh, you know, abandon a city, it wouldn't take more than a few years before a storm of some, of some kind would come through and this building would no longer be able to protect itself in that regard. That system would no longer be operating and it literally would snap itself and fall in pieces, uh, uh, crushing other buildings you know, next to it or below it. Yeah. And sadly, you won't get the Statue of Liberty Bill still with an arm intact because it's made of copper plate about oh, a quarter inch thick. And without being taken care of, it would be just eaten away and gone. Yeah. It's also right next to salt water. That's pretty bad, too, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Especially if, it's, if it is buried up to its neck in, by the seashore. Yeah, definitely. It's, it, it's still intact. Why am I hearing right now Bill Murray yelling, She's tough! She's a harbor chick! <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, I saw it in the, California. We, uh, we, we were touring some of the old missile sites and the Civil War batteries that were back in that area. And uh, old mm. forts, old uh, naval forts. And the, the iron, which was like an inch thick, was rusting straight through from the seawater after a century. Oh, yeah. There's a – oh, here in Washington State, there's a bunch of, uh, of the uh, World War II uh, um, shore batteries for protecting the Puget Sound. And they were abandoned and pretty much left other than mowing the grass. And even that's not enough to keep the moss growing on the walls and the vines getting in places and cracking in the walls and spalling off concrete. Also, all the rebar was not properly made, so there's places where the rebar is swelling up. No, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. That's that's not why. I used to be I used to do corrosion engineering. Rebar is made out of rebar rebar is made of steel, and when steel corrodes because you put it inside of concrete which is porous. Uh, eventually steel rebar corrodes, but that gives you the strength you need, the concrete and the steel rebar. So you, you know, you basically just, you repair it when it breaks because it's just, it's just the way it is. It's most, it's the most cost effective way to do it in the long run. But when, uh, when steel corrodes, uh, it turns into this thing called rust and, and rust has eight times, takes up eight times the space of steel. So that's why when uh, when when you see st- sidewalks and, and any any kind of structure that has rebar in it starts to blow apart, it's because the 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 rebar in it, the steel in it, is expanding and it's trying to get to eight times its size. So it'll literally just blow it apart. And and what keeps that from happening with things like the uh, Statue of Liberty is now I don't know I've never been in it, but I'm going to assume doing corrosion work that uh, it's full of anodes. Oh yeah, and they had to replace it. They actually had bimetal. Of course, you have to replace the anodes. That's that's what they did. They're, that's why they're called sacrificial anodes. They take the corrosion to keep the copper from corroding, which uh, copper corrodes actually on your hot water heater, Bruce. Yes, you do. Yeah, yeah. No, but the thing is, remember that they had to do the repair during '76. They had to repair it and restore it. Turned out they used iron strapping in the inside. Oh yeah, and the copper will eat that iron to death. Since copper is a more noble metal, and uh, the copper will tear that iron up. Yeah, they had to replace. I forgot what they replaced it, but they replaced it with something that wouldn't that wouldn't happen with at least not in our lifetime. Uh, they probably maybe used 
they might have used a coating on it, like a metal with a coating, or uh, they might have put a oh, they might have put a rectified system in it with anodes. That would have been that would have done it. Anyway, sorry, I'm 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 engineering out on you guys now. <laughs> no, 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 it's it's good to know because yeah. Now the thing is, so you enter a old Commonwealth city that is a thousand years old. You expect it to be more or less dust, yet there's a fully intact building. I mean, we're not talking like you know. Intact in the archaeological sense. We're talking a fully intact, still got lights on building. That's the most dangerous place on this in, on this world right now. Because someone's been keeping that thing going for a thousand years. Something. <laughs> Something. Yeah. That that's uh well, yeah, there's probably there's probably an AI, and you know, the building would have to be self-repairing, self-healing, uh self you know, reactive. And over- or it could be a fringe pirate base or a Coptic base or a Malar could be living there. Anything. I mean, just there could be a lot of stuff in that base going, keeping yeah. that building going. Yeah. Now, if it's no, he did ask another question about, you know, of course, part of the question did talk about Tremelin's tree cities. Well, they're called forests. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, we, I think we talked about this before about the about wild forests of, of house trees that have basically gone to pot and they've gone feral. And uh, I don't know if they'd be dangerous or what. I would think because I would think because terminal trees are whoever's in them, they give food and medicine and clothing and whatnot. A feral tree, I would think it'd be giving you like if it were the case. And Rich just said no, but let's go down this road anyways. It would be like giving you clothes that would all of a sudden constrict you or the food would be poisonous or the medicine would be poisoned. You know, things like that. That's what I would see a feral home tree would be. <laughs> the Venus flytrap or tamelon trees. Basically, it would be insane. It would be psychotic. You you provide waste for the tree. In fact, Leo Frankowski actually covered this with one of his books. <laughs> I think he was reading Fringeworthy before he died. Uh, the Copernicus <laughs> Rebellion about humans having home trees that were engineered. And if you didn't Ah. provide the waste matter in the trees, you know, basically use their toilets or whatever, eventually it would eat the person. They had to get that out of the tree because, unfortunately, they started losing people. They didn't know why. And uh, which was a great idea. I I like what he did with it. But you, yeah. the, the way we did the trees was the trees learned from the person, basically, and uh, fed them, and if you liked things, the tree read off of you and said, mm-hmm. he really liked that meal. Maybe I can do something else. Or basically, you know, you stuffed a, uh, uh, you know, a Cinnabon down the one shoot of the tree. The tree scans it and says, I can make this for them. Yep. But yeah, a wild Tremelon tree would probably just become a tree again. Yeah, it probably lose it. It would lose. It may still be sentient it, though, so it may. Well, it would lose, it, but still, it would be a smart tree, though. So basically, the senile. Don't forget that the trees are actually brutes. Yeah. Well, brutes brutes are actually seeds, but yeah. you know. Well, think of it this way, okay? If you take a child and you don't. And, and they grow, and he's raised by wolves. Okay, you don't you don't give it the stimulation it needs in order to develop properly. Then at best, you usually end up with a mentally stunted child. Uh, it's the whole thing with manimal and stuff like that 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 doesn't happen in real life. The, the few examples that they have of people literally growing up in the wild, they were you know they were very good at what they did, but they you know were not you know. They, they, most of them couldn't speak. A lot of them didn't have the, you know, couldn't ever develop the ability to read or a lot of other things. And they were basically like, you know, low grade morons. Uh, they were perfectly self-sufficient and they might be very, uh, cuddly, uh, if they felt like it, but they were much like the chimpanzees, uh, because they had not received the proper stimulation at the time when their brains were pr- uh, processed, ready to process it. So imagine a tamelon tree where it's it's all ready to imprint on somebody or develop appropriate for somebody, but nobody's around. Well, other than imprinting on each other 
or you know uh, a friendly tree squirrel, I mean, <laughs> you're you're going to end up with trees essentially becoming mentally stunted at uh, you know at most likely. And very good at taking care of squirrels. And uh, don't forget that if the tree follows you for a number of years, or the group follows you for a number of years, it picks up from you. And basically, yeah. there's already something there before it actually implants. Yeah, that, that's why I say Gordon Conrad has a tree growing in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> and it, 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 it doesn't have to worry about him using it as a, as a toilet, because the first thing it found was the New York sewers. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> hey, it filters. Yeah. <laughs> But it's probably if if there is a tree that's that was from Gordon Conrad, it's on another world somewhere. And all the meat it produces tastes like alligator meat. Huh. So uh, that's disturbing. So like springy. Yeah. <laughs> or it tastes like rat. One or the other, rat and cockroach. Oh please. <laughs> and the homeless person. Oh. Uh, now, now you're getting morbid. All right, I, I just wanted to mention one other thing, and that is when we we're again we're talking about those gigantic tall buildings. If by some chance you know you had a building where it was able to keep that thing going, okay, these you're talking about megatons, okay, on a, a, a very small uh, footprint, and over a period of centuries, that's going to sink. So that that you know that hundred story tall building may only look like a fifty tall story tall building by the time you run into it. Yeah, and also I hate to say this, remember the Earth moves, and sometimes it moves really fast sometimes. So there's the occasional earthquakes, which makes life interesting for buildings. You know, but also we had standard good old fashioned tectonic, tectonic plate movement. Uh, in a hundred years, it moves several. It'll move several, at least a foot or so. And that might be enough to move it into into the path of a river. And now it's got a river undercutting it. Oh, you should have seen my driveway in Pontiac with a river undercutting part of my property. Well, imagine the Hudson River going through the middle of Manhattan Island. Eventually, Manhattan will be underwater. So, Yep. Yep. And of course, you know, as, as as you said, the the biggest issue, you know, with things like that kind of movement, John, is rises of elevation or slow sinkages, where you know the city it looks here. Here you have this perfectly beautiful city, and they're all surrounded by a lake. You know, it's it's basically it's like uh, uh, spires sticking out of water. This huge lake that's there, or the, the reverse, where you come in and you see you know, all the buildings have fallen out in a, in a in a in a star pattern because the ground rose up and they just naturally fell over toward the outside. So you have these this this whole city that's all laid out like a picket line the all the way around you know all the way around a central point. You're like, how did that happen? Because it doesn't look like it's that much higher, but that hill that the center of the city's on wasn't there 500 years ago. It's been slowly growing. Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, you can toss in the, you know, it's on the seashore. Well, the only reason why the thing hasn't fallen over is because when you go under the water, there's six feet of coral making up the new foundation for the building (laughs) around its base. You know, it's this completely covered in coral. You know, yep, both inside and outside. So yeah, and here's the thing: if you do find a, if you do find a mound, a building mound, you want to investigate it. More than likely, anything underneath it's going to be underwater. That's one of the problems we, where we build cities. They typically typically got to worry about flooding. I mean, every every major building in New York City have pumps going full time to keep their basements dry. As soon as the pumps turn off, like they like they did during one power outage, it fills up with water. <laughs> You know, so so if you think you go go diving, diving in an abandoned building that's collapsed is probably more dangerous than diving a shipwreck. They had that problem with Chicago when the uh, when the yeah. one when they busted through the one uh, wall and the the oh. river flooded all the basements, the the, the uh, engineering tunnels mm-hmm. under it, the transport tunnels that nobody had remembered. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And the fix you got to fix it from the riverside because you can't go inside because it's too dangerous. Well, the coal tunnels spread it everywhere in the basements and, and you know central mm-hmm. buildings, 
And then there was stuff left over from the first great Chicago fire, you know, things underground. They finally, I think it was, they dropped, what, two or three tons of old mattresses and then concrete and everything else, and they finally plugged it. It was, it was, quite, the, uh, it was quite the underground. They actually had fish in, in the basements of buildings. So, hmm. Hmm. good research. All right. All right. So, next. Okay. So, ha- all right. Let's keep it on past that. Uh, okay. So, we're basically going to move into uh, FTL now. Most all these other questions. We'll go ahead and talk about the uh, the Kimnar. Off to the future again. Y- yes. So the question is there a question from Jay Haley. Uh, has anyone and he's asked this in three different places, so we're answering it in one place now. Uh, has anyone here done any work on the Kimnar? What are they like? How does this their society work? They're cats. <laughs> They're warriors. They're, they're fighters. But they're also regular people, too. I mean, you know, okay, Animal was definitely, well, he, even though he, he worked security in the ship, he came from a, a farming world. Kachar is a farming world. So, you know, they're, of course, they farm meat. So, yeah, you know, and fish, but still. Um, Bill Wardrop, when he did his character, what, what was his name? Was it Khan or something else? Eater of canned food. Eater of canned food. Um, his character was the same way. He was a guardian of one of the royal households. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't a eunuch. Oh, uh, no, he wasn't a eunuch. <laughs> no, he wasn't. No. I don't think any Kim. We was the safest ship uh, in FT in, in in known space in Isco space. We had three We had three Kimnar as security. You take us off. We had dinner. Oh, especially after what they did to the Space Rangers horse that was in the freezer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the history on them, I, we should probably go some the history, because they originally, Richard, this is back in 77? 70... Well, 77, 78. Yeah, Richard was, Richard decided to run a game. And he asked us, what do you want? And we're, we were using... Well, no, actually... Hang on, John. I can give you the exact what happened. Uh, a friend, Dave Jordan, brought in a copy of, of Traveler. Remember? Yes. Yes. And we decided to run Traveler. And the first character rolled up was a Grand Fleet Admiral who died in training. And the second character <laughs> who was rolled up was a something else and who ended up being pretty good character. Cool. Died in training. I slapped the box against the wall and said, let's do something more to less Imperium wise. And let's do something people can believe in, you know, a, uh, not, not quite an aliens kind of technology, but somewhere close, something you can believe in. And that was why FTL came about. Now, wasn't there a short story? Um, Bob Sadler did a story called star heat about a starship Mm -hmm. and about a sentient star. And uh, basically chasing the ship down, and it was it was it was a great little story. He never quite finished it. Um, we we sat and we talked about it for a couple of years, and I grabbed the story as a base for FTL, and I ran, and I'm still running, and Bob is still scratching his head. Yep, and I remember, and I remember at the Order of Leibowitz, where we used to game at in in the Oakland University. Uh, you came up and said, we're going to play this. We, we, kind of, we, we were sort of kind of using traveler rules at the time when we first did it. But he said, what do you want to play? Any, you know, pick a race, anything you want. And I said, Kazin. And I, and I rolled up, he who loves small furry animals. And he was, he was, he was a ranger, ex-ranger. And, uh, and he's now, and he ended up being the, uh, initially the head of security and up, up until Bill, Bill's character showed up on board the uh, Santa Barbara. And we sort of started defining the characters. They originally were Kazin. Mike Schwartz's uh, character was another Kimnar named Bleach, a white Kimnar who had been discriminated against horribly. Mm-hmm. Because he was a white Kimnar. Yeah. And then we then we had, went through some radical changes, and you decided to get serious about this, and you said, we can't call them Kazin anymore. They have to be Kimnar. It would be something else we call them Kimnar. 
And by that time, they had already changed. The, the, uh, both species, both the male and females were intelligent. If you're familiar with Larry Niven's work, that was not the case with, with contemporary Kazin. <sighs> Uh, and we started, and we we didn't make them so warrior. Yes, they were warrior, but they weren't. They're were more. I think you said Japanese feudal or Chinese feudal. They ended up being more later Klingon, the the kind of personalities. <laughs> but we were there first. There was honor. There was a lot of <laughs> yes. honor to them, and uh, a lot of cased. Um, animal came from a colony world, uh, Kachar. Um, People mispronounce it C-char, it's C-char. Um, and uh, he, basically, they, he, he can't go back until he, until he finds the people who killed his father, so he can hire them to kill the guy who killed his father. It's all really strong you know, stu- you know, stuff. <laughs> uh, trouble is, the people who killed his father probably ended up as dinner someplace. So it's a, it's a hopeless task. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and of course, they, yeah. they also would play practical jokes on each other. The three Kim are on the ship, and it got it got way out of hand after a while. Yeah, when you see a, a Kim are walking around completely denuded of the fur, yep. like Kim and the other Kim <laughs> is going. It's, the other uh, wardrobe Kim the security officer, is chasing his uh, Bleach's character all the way through the ship, looking for him, and now realizing. He's sitting on the hall in a spacesuit to get away from him. <laughs> it's little things like that that added to the campaign. But we did have a, a, a really rocking band, though. We made that all our musical instruments are bones. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, but, uh, and first, Isco stepped in historically yeah. and basically took their colonies over a corporation, actually, that that ran prisons and other things. Celestar basically stopped them dead in their tracks because their technology was a little less than humans. And uh, basically the first human ships that came and went out found the Kimnar and basically one of the ships was shot up completely. And the other ship ended up limping home. And then they came back in force. They had faster drives. And the Kimnar couldn't keep up. And the Kimnar were locked to their world for close to 100 years. And uh, then after that, they were the they were when they realized that the Celestar was keeping them down, and uh, they started to really fight hard. That they they were they stopped, and uh, they and the Isco said, well, "You know, this is let's investigate this." There was a almost a a war between Isco, the uh, the interstellar scientific co-op, and Celestar. And then they freed, the, basically a human being helped free the Kimnar, give them back their rights and their honor. Mm-hmm. And they, took their, they took their place within uh, the uh, expanding you know, human and alien space. Uh, they actually, because I think uh, they had three colonies at the time when they contacted humanity. Uh, Kachar was one of them. So, but they've now, but by the, the time uh, released 2448, they had seven colonies. Uh, out there, uh, most of them mixed. One of the one of the colonies was a a slave race. I can't remember what they what they were. They were they were a tall monkey like people. Oh, Barians, Barians, and the, the Barians hated them. And basically, after that, they were uh, the Barians were you know released and fully joined Isco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, it, it comes down to yeah. Kimnar, are, are, if you want to ask questions, they're people. Um, that's f- first and foremost, they're people. But you know, in terms of temperament, there. Yeah, like I said, if you if you go with either feudal Japan, that's pretty much because uh, yeah, it's pretty much a good way to go with it. Uh, there's you know because there are people you know, for every warrior out there. There's there's a dozen or so people supporting him. So it, you know, unlike the, unlike the Kazin where everyone's a warrior and it doesn't seem to be anyone doing any work except for slaves. With the Kimnar, it's a it's a regular society. Uh, yeah, we can always go to our, 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 our normal rundown. Uh, see, uh, they 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 they're basically the question was. Uh, what are they like? How does this? How does this society work? Um, you know, 
the society, it's a clan. I would say it's sort of clannish and sort of like the, the feudal society of Japan. There are individual, I don't want to call them warlords. That's what shogun were, but they're the individual war, you know, clan leaders and so forth. I would think of them more as households. Yeah. Households. Yeah. Well, the, the difference between a clan and a household and a tribe is what name. <laughs> The same, but yeah, the household means it's probably, yeah, household implies much more refinement. And there are probably specialty households of uh, different, different households doing different things. Some handling mining, some handling, you know, medicine, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yep. And Kachar was, it was a religious colony. The, the, the Kimnara settled there actually has some different, radically different beliefs than the, the Kimnara back in the homeworld, which is why they have a colony. You know, this, this, that's what they, they are, they're basically a, a different religious sect. You know, so like the, like the pilgrims in the Mayflower, they, uh, they went someplace else to be able to practice their, practice their beliefs without being, you know, criticized from the majority religion back on, on, uh, on the Kimnara homeworld. Well, there, there, were, there were two or three different religions, and then, of all things, Christianity took hold with the Kimnar, and they, they had a terrifically bad time <laughs> until they were finally universally accepted. The, uh, hey. But then again, it almost fit with the, their legends of someone descending on a pillar of light, giving them technology, <laughs> and basically reascending on a pillar of light, which probably was an alien, but we, nobody's ever been sure. And then again, yep. the other the other person who gave them space, their Werner von Braun, was named Greasy Claws the Mad. <laughs> uh, well, the, I, well, yeah, my my other Kimnar character, uh, Animal's brother, uh, Steel, he would steal teeth. Um, basically, uh, he was a Catholic. He was the black sheep of the family. <laughs> you know. But yeah, they, they, him and his brother got along well. I actually, I, I, there's a third Kimnar, their sister, um, Fuzzy. <laughs> you know, so but she's still on Kimnar, so she's probably got married by now. But yeah, it's a feudal society. It's sort of a techno feudal society. Good way to put it. Um, even amongst the, the religious sects. I mean, the religious, the, the, the Kachar is structured differently. It's a different structure. But for the most part, they, they're part of the Kinder Empire, so they still have to have a, there's someone, there's, so, there's a, a county general, a, a, a um, governor, governor general in charge of the, and the over, colony. And overall, the Kimnar are the backup, the military forces, and everything else security-wise for the Interstellar mm -hmm. Scientific Co-op. So they, they're, yeah. they're fulfilling what they, want, they're, what they want their destiny to be. Yeah. So, so that's one way. So the other thing he asked, Jay asked, is, okay, so uh, uh, their culture is built around the idea of ranching and moving meat to market, Right. Um, no, right. probably a lot of trade goods, but meat would be very important to them. Yeah. I mean, they probably, yeah, in a way I would imagine they would have, they would still develop a form of farming because, you know, what, what, you, what your stuff eats goes into you. <laughs> so yeah, if you can really, some really good high grade, uh, high protein stuff for the, for their animals to eat. You know, and, and and not everything, and I would imagine not all the meat is, is are vegetarians. They probably also ranch carnivores. You know, this you know this there's, there's always that belief, you know, like with like with with oysters and so forth. If you have a have a carnivore for dinner, fun time in the bed that night. <laughs> uh, I did have a story I was writing. They 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 do also have sausages and so forth. I mean, there's also fish. Kim Nars fish. Kimnars will dive into the water and go after the fish with their claws. Yep. Or they'll buy it at a fish market. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah. Live or dead. Preferably yeah. live. Well, that's why I, that's why I posted on the on the formal hut. There are, there are aquacultures going on in formal hut. They're kind of expensive because you know, but still, it, lots of it is, is of course crap fish. You know, tilapia. You know, bottom feeders, stuff like that. Stuff that's easy to aquaculture, and then there's the stuff that's harder, to, but it brings a bigger price if you can deliver it fresh. Okay. Let's see. So that's 
Uh, what else did they have there? Uh, so, how crowded do they get? I mean, basically, what's what, what's are we talking? You know, are we talking Tokyo or are we talking uh, Bismarck, North Dakota, <laughs> in terms of population density? The population density. Yeah, if there's a kid in our city, how close, how cheek to jail do they get? That's an interesting thought. That's something we've never... European is very dense. Uh, African is not very dense. Asian's denser, except where it isn't. You know. We're talking American density? American density can be almost anything. Yeah. Between New York and Detroit, I mean, look at the difference in population. Um, oh, oh, New York and Bismarck, North Dakota. I've been there. It's like, uh, this is a city. <laughs> no, no offense to our listeners of Bismarck, North Dakota, but you're not. I've been to New York City. I've been to Los Angeles. You're a town compared to those places. <laughs> it's whatever whatever they're comfortable with. And if they don't like it, they could basically they move. The, I would think the, also that a lot of it would be estates. And mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, basically five or ten acre estates and then attached to a five or ten acre manufacturing area and a five or ten acre farming area. But not everyone. But not everyone can be in the estate. I mean, OK, not everyone can be a plantation owner. So, so these folks got basically they work for the plantation owners. So where do they live? They live on the on the plantation, or they live in a, a little uh, in, a, in a communal area. What? Probably, I would think for cities there would be high rise, there would be offices, and there would be high rises, and basically yeah. open open and spacious. Yeah, yeah, and like like a, a park with fruit. There's probably plenty of things to grab to have a, have lunch with too. <laughs> Has to be supplied though, yeah. So, ah, and he did ask another question uh, How do the Kimnar make a technological civilization work? Just like anyone else, necessity, yeah. I mean, they're not like the Kazin who basically were okay. If you read, I've read the the uh, man Kazin war books, um, Kazin were primitives when aliens landed. And they got captured and enslaved by the Kazin. And that's how they got the technology. What Richard, what you're saying, Richard, they sort of got the same, it was sort of the same way? Or what level of technology did they receive that pushed them on the way to civilization? Was it modern technology? Was it, you know, here's how you make fire and paper or what? I think they were a little ahead of that. I think the houses between okay. each other would come up with an idea and basically push it. And then uh, trade and have an advantage, and somebody else would come up with another idea. But the problem with the Kibdar would be they they didn't want to infringe on the other households and create major wars, but it did happen. Yeah. So was there currency then, or was it all trade? The currency eventually would turn into something like basically man hours, uh, value, rarity, that kind of thing. Probably a council between multiple, um, uh, between multiple states, would get so, together and kind of decide what how valuable this was. So, or along with lots and lots of promissory notes floating around too, probably. Yep, favors, favors everywhere. Yeah. So, but yeah. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, they're you know, how do you make it work? They they you know, just make it work. I mean, it's one of those questions that's kind of hard to ask us answer because it's you know, it's not like they're primitives beating you know. We've done it several times as as we've developed yeah. as human beings. Uh, China yeah. did it very well, and uh, mm-hmm. as far as you know, their 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 uh, their first couple hundred years on the sun or in the uh, last uh, millennium. And uh, other countries didn't do it well at all. Yeah. But it was also based off of something rare, which without the also was gold and silver. Yeah. Silver and gold. Oh, I'm sorry. But so, all right. So I guess the next question is, what's the difference between the Grexians and the Kimnar? What are the differences in their attitudes and life in general? (laughs) 
Well, they're both warrior species, even though the Grixians are weasels. I mean, they're four foot tall. The Grexians basically are squirrel-like, but they were at one time taller and very tougher. The picture, the picture in the book looks like a weasel. Okay, they're they're kind of they're we figured they were kind of squirrel-like, but the Grexians were exiled to Caribbean Seven. Basically, they were they were from somewhere else, and they were punished. They were dumped there. The remaining population, they got they were probably involved in the 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 previous Galactic Empires about two hundred thousand years before, and uh, somebody really didn't like them, and uh, that was the end of that was the end of their civilization. Their homeworlds are probably were probably burned off, and they're probably. No, I would say that it's probably if they were, if they were an empire, the, the, this is probably not the only Grixian world out there. This is the only one we found so far. This is the only one. There may be a few others, but whoever exterminated them basically did a real good job, and then dumped them into a living hell. Which basically yes. they were thankful to Isco because Isco helped them control back the world they had, and they got them off that world. Yeah, yeah. No, now you actually have Kiri Sibon, and where's yeah? Basically, I'm reading through and going, "This is Dorsai, only with plants." No, it, it's it's more like Harry Harrison's Hell World. Oh yes, Hell World. Yes, you're right. Basically, sniper trees, sniper trees, poisonous things. Uh, just everything there was designed that should have finished them off, and it didn't. They were tough enough, but uh, they said they they were warriors, and somebody got them. Probably the Mozbach. I see the Grex, and I look, and I see fox. Yeah, fox squirrels, whatever. <laughs> Ferret. <laughs> they're they're aerial, They're squirrel ferrets. <laughs> yeah, they're squirrel ferret, and, and they shed. Yeah, and they definitely should. It's one of the classic lines dealing with a Grex was uh, was Captain Clark, uh, Dave Stein, in the original Santa Barbara crew, who looked at mm-hmm. one of the, the Grex that was on board the ship and went, Motley, here's a nut. Go bury it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and Motley was very honored. Well, I, I don't see why you think they're warriors, considering the fact that none of their skill tendencies fall into that area. Not anymore. Well, they, yeah. Well, if you're looking at bad traits, uh, fight to kill, destroy houseplants, hate the color green. Well, fight to kill doesn't mean they're warriors. As a matter of fact, that means just the opposite. It means they're the people that don't fight, and when they do fight, they fight totally. This was 200,000 years ago when the two galactic empires exterminated each, uh, each other. And basically, human and Hagani space are cutting through the edge of that. Now and looking, you know, at by by twenty four sixty. Well, I wouldn't want to uh, to judge humanity by our representatives two hundred thousand years ago, Richard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'm just saying is that now you know they're not uh, warriors. They're yeah. <laughs> no, they, well, they 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 they've they're a lot shorter than they used to be, and they're basically they're most of the ones that were tough and went out and went out to to defend themselves ended up dead. So you you've had you have an, an evolution and process that made them a more peaceful race. Basically, yeah. they were they've been running for a hundred thousand years or more. But they know how to defend against the plant. Like, I imagine their cities are fortresses. The, the cities um, are not with the help of Visco. They are the world. What I don't think we ever talked about was the world was uh, the world. The Carol Seven was low on metals, and basically there wasn't a lot there. And the problem is the plants were really never stopped. No, I would say, are they really plants, or are these things grow? And are, are they really plants, or are triffids? Okay, so they're plant animals. Yeah, yeah. All right, so basically, never, there, there was never a differentiation between plants and animals on this world. They were both. You know, they can, they can, you know, they were, they can, yeah. They can, well, think of triffids. Think of other things that you really don't want in your garden. Uh, what's her name again from uh, Low Shop of Horrors? Audrey. Audrey's. <laughs> and they're motile, too. 
Yeah, well, that's the thing is, is that you know, spe- specialization uh, is is the way that nature usually goes. So you know, the re- the reason that animals are the way they are is because they can eat the plants. All right, you know, the and the and the plants use like passive defenses usually, you know, to protect themselves. So if these are both, then that sounds to me like the uh, like they were engineered to be the fi- finishing touches on these uh, this race of, of of exiles, or the exiles ended up dumped there. There's a there was another world that I don't remember if we ever did the scenario on it called Wichita. And they found a world that had the entire uh, at the entire uh, world had been sterilized by its by its uh, owners, and uh, they what they found frozen at the poles they found seeds, and these plants were incredible. Except what nobody knew is after a extended period of time, the plants began to change colors, emit something poisonous, and then burst into flame. Basically, they, they lost a couple of research centers, and then there was a whole scenario wrapped around this this race that came back. But yeah, well, well, I mean, there are there are there, we do have some plant animals out there. I mean, there are very few, but there are they fill niches, but they're usually small and inoffensive, you know, uh, critters. But uh, I can still see uh, specialization. Uh, it, it, a, lot, a lot of times, it's, it's the fall of the fall of the, of the of the ecological dice. You know, if 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 something happened in the past where plant animals were favored over over specialization, maybe you know, maybe because because they had much better breeding cycles, so they could breed faster. That usually ends up winning the race if you can breed faster than the other guys. Well, that's a really big if, John. John Wyndham did Day of the Triffids, and Day of the Triffids was yeah. perfect for that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. So, but whatever, you know, be the artificial, whatever, the world's a living hell, living green hell. And there are no, you know, and you basically, uh, I, I wonder if, if a poor, poor, poor soul lands in that world, you know, just keep the doors and your shell craft closed, and hopefully someone will rescue you. By spraying the place in low, say low grade uh, neutron radiation, hopefully your shields and your shell will, will last, and then get you out, uh, <laughs> because it, it, it's, it's it's the place you don't want to go to. I mean, it, it sounds you know you step outside, you're not ready, you're dead. And and the plants have and plants you know, eat you, and they and then they uh, eat you or compost you or do both, and they're and they're, and they're happy. <laughs> Oh wow! If you if they are mineral if they are metal metal poor, you land them you land anything with lots of metal on there. Do the plants go after the metal? It's uh, I don't the plant they, they mostly go after the meat. So okay. basically, it rots. They're happy. Yeah, but yeah. So, but I would still imagine that their places are that they're where they live are fortresses. You know, you know, basically carved out of the stone. They probably what, they live in the mountains. Dome cities now. Oh yeah, but they probably. What, I was imagine they probably live where it's hard for plants to get a foothold. So probably mountains and so forth. But that does beg the question: What do they eat? Wait, what does who eat? What did the Grexians? What did the Grexians eat after they got dumped in that world? Uh, probably again, probably plants and probably small animals and probably insect life and I would think fish. Okay, uh, Richard, if the place is dead as you said, what small animals? What small animals? Anything they had with them. Oh, they had. The directions had. Okay. So, but not what, but not what the world itself probably has its own, uh, its own uh, pollinators and so forth. All of them plant, plant animals, whatever they are. But the directions brought their own critters. Well, we, we, we never quite. Spec- speculated that the they were the plants were much more hostile to the Grexians than anything else. That you know, yeah, they would go after humans, but they would more go after Grexians. Yeah, John. During the time of the dinosaurs, they had plenty of big dinosaurs, but also plenty of little ones. So uh, there's no no reason why they wouldn't have a variety of animals to choose from for to eat. I mean, if as long as they could, like you know eat them faster than they were eating, getting eat themselves. And then again, too, there are things like, like ankylosaurs were basically armored tanks that ate vegetables. Yeah. 
So yeah, so the animals on because basically you, 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 the way you written up it reads like it, it, the animals wouldn't actually have a chance in that world, or at least or, so. Yeah, okay. So the, the so yes, there are animals, but they are well. It's, I always say the majority be out of the maybe they're more animal than plant, but they're still all from the same gene stock. You know, you know what I'm saying. You know, so some are more animal than plant, some are more plant than animal. Yeah, all good eating if you cook them right. Oh God! And the Grexians were completely different. They were they they did not originate on that world. Yeah, but like you said, they were once a, a once great race of warriors, and now they're reduced down to uh, guys who kill houseplants. <laughs> you know, it's a uh... how the mighty have fallen. Yeah, yeah. very much so. There's yeah. at least three races like that in FTL. Yeah. Oh, and here's another question for the Grexians. Uh, we just answered what they eat. How does having long, flowing, pretty fur all over affect their culture? And I guess on top of that, their, their technology. I would imagine they, they would get fur everywhere. And they clog filters and, uh, yep. <laughs> Dude, if you want to get a good idea what that would be like, come to my house sometime when my dog is shedding. I got a German Shepherd, and holy moly! <laughs> At one time, I was uh, I was proud second parent of two collies, and I would sit mm. them down and I would brush a garbage bag of hair out of each one. Wow! Yeah. Same, same thing happens with labs. Yeah, yeah, same with labs. I, 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 I remember that picture of a of a, there's a cat and there's a pile of fur size of the cat next to the cat, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is why here we specialize. We have a a seven pound short hair that doesn't shed much, and two twenty pounders that don't have short hair and don't shed much. Yeah, but see, this is the this is the future here. So I'm sure that they have a a more high tech version of the Floby that would be able to, uh, you know, Flo-B. every morning they get up and they go into the Floby chamber and it sucks away all. You know, it, it basically you know rubs them up and down and sucks away all their their extra fur and such. And they go about their they put on you know their clothing and go about their daily lives because they, cl- they clearly wear clothing. Yeah. This is why the 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 hypervac company with the micro uh, dust collectors have made in the, a galactic fortune. Every morning they walk through, they walk through the equivalent of of the uh, of oh, what was that thing that uh, what oh, the equi- equivalent of a uh, lint roller every morning. Uh. <laughs> yeah, we have that. That's called a dachshund. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my idea works better, John. <laughs> yeah. Robovax. Yeah. Well, what do you call those things that are everywhere in people's houses and almost work? Oh, Roombas. Yeah, we we have one intelligent Roomba, constantly sucking up the hair. Sure. Yeah, the the full body Roomba. Oh yeah. Ah. <laughs> 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 uh. And to our, and to another of our favorite races, so I don't think I ever I ever ran to one though. A new one was in the ship. I don't think I ran into much. The Borcha. What do the Borcha like to eat? And no, it's not picnic baskets. Whatever they anything want. anything they want. They they're meat eaters, vegetable eaters. They like baked goods. They're just basically they eat anything. They're as close to human beings in personality and diet as anything else that's out there. Yeah, they're they're omnivores. Yeah, we're talking about their personality. What was their personality be like? And I, you know, it's not Yogi Bear. It's probably more along the line of a, a cross between Baloo from Tailspin and Ralph Cramden. Very, John. I think you nailed it very well. Wow. It's uh, right. they're they're just they're just big guys. They're babas. For our audience out there who doesn't know who Ralph Cramden is, he's a character played by Jackie Gleason. Look him up in in the Honeymooners back in the fifties and sixties, before most of you were born. So that's so helpful, John. I mean, now they gonna they're really gonna want to run to those things to do that. Wait a minute, hold on. If you've ever heard the phrase "to the moon," bang, yeah. boom, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, like, okay, I'll, I'll gi- okay, okay, I'll give him something a little more recent. There was a movie about ten years ago called The Honeymooners. It had Cedric the Entertainer as Ralph Cramden. That is a remake of that series. Oh, that sounds horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, okay, but we know that they like beer. Okay, so that, all right, so that, and beer is made out of grain. Huge amounts of yeah. hum, bad human habits. Right. But they, they apparently like beer, and beer is made out of grain and hops and things like that. So that tells you that they have a taste for grains and, uh, and, 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 and other types of things like that. They might also like fruity type stuff. So, of course, that also goes with their bear-like nature. So I would think that their diet would probably be heavy on uh, grains and fruit and uh and, uh, of course, anything else they can stuff in their mouth. Probably they love sweets. Why not? We love them. I've never seen – bears like honey. So, therefore, there's no reason why they wouldn't go gaga over that. The big question is is that if you live in a, in a world in which you could have food made any way you wanted to, what would be their, their ultimate idea of food? What would – you know, would they want like a, a – uh, a cupcake, you know, with a with a meat filling covered over with chocolate syrup. I mean, is that is that is that the ultimate borscht uh, dish or what? <laughs> well, going down into into downtown Ferndale here, a mile from here. Um, yeah, yeah I've, I've seen all kinds of stuff like that. <laughs> so, yeah, probably I mean, probably uh, meat. Pro- I would say meat pies. Uh, I would say packaged sweets. Donuts would probably be a big thing. Oh, there you go, Richard. There you go, Richard. A meat pie donut with maple syrup. That um, sounds good. A sausage with a donut wrapped around it. The sausage is in the center of the donut. The George Carlin line might be meat, might be cake. It's meat cake. <laughs> there, <laughs> actually, actually, there's a product. Is a product. Uh, if you don't, if you heard of it, it's called Voodoo Donuts, and they're down in Portland, and they make the bacon maple bars. I've made those myself, by the way. You take bacon and you put it. You you uh, you dip it in uh, maple syrup, and then you coat it with brown sugar, and you bake it. Oh, it's so good! It's like baking candy. These are maple bar donuts. These are maple bar donuts with bacon in them or on top okay. of the other. And they are completely, completely decadent and they're, and they're tasty. <laughs> Those are so wonderful. I think I should go get a shot of insulin. That was only in the very early episodes where I really overdid it. I don't do that most of the time. Yeah, I, I mentioned that, but yeah. Well, anyway, so... But, Trust me, we sound so much. You, well, I say, just be listening to the more recent stuff. Uh, you, you'll see a lot of verbal tells. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did. Uh, yeah. You know, the three chipmunks, the Dave Seville's three chipmunks could be stranded Grex. <laughs> but they're really fat. That or that or are there Felks? One or the other. Yeah, closer. Well, I'd like to say something. All of you out there, go check out TriTechGames.com. Yes, because there's a whole new sections of website. There's all sorts of new stuff. It uh, looks wonderful, and there's some new products out. So check it out, and then there'll be some more coming up. Uh, we will be sure to post as many messages as we uh, get opportunity to on the various boards on Facebook and other places to encourage people to go to the TriTech Games website because of all the new and upgraded graphics and products that have been pushed to the forefront have been hiding in the nooks and crannies of the TriTech Games website. So if you haven't been there recently... We got a brand Field and that will be coming out very shortly, and some other stuff. So there's freebies there, too, to download, so don't think it'll be a waste just to go and see. Make sure you check out all the different parts, because you never know when Uncle Richard's going to put something there just specially for you. 
And I want to thank everyone who listens to the TriTag Games podcast because we are very happy to do this podcast. We've been doing it now for over 240 episodes. And, uh, of course, by the time this drops, it'll probably be 250 or 260. Can't really say. But we're looking forward to your questions uh, about our games and your responses to the, of the new topics that will be coming up real soon now. And so keep listening and going to our website. And we'll be back. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game. Hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.